Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hi everyone, it's Sophia, and welcome back to Work in Progress. Our guest today is someone I am so excited to sit down with. He has been called a world changer, a teacher of teaching, and even the modern-day Mr. Rogers. His passion for education and supplying as much as possible for young students to maximize their time in school is unmatched. His name is Donovan Taylor Hall. Mr. Donovan, as he's often called at school, has such a magnanimous drive to improve children's experiences in the classroom that it caught the eye of the Today Show, Now This, and countless interviews for other publications, programs, and podcasts. His desire to see growth and positivity in the way that children think about themselves and in the way they talk to themselves has ultimately taken him out of the classroom. Now, Mr. Donovan serves as a foundational instructor at Full Life, where he helps not only the youth of America, but their teachers, counselors, and parents too, as a means of broadening the scope of his positive impact. While I have Mr. Donovan on the show, I'm looking forward to asking him about his own experiences in school and how they led him to become the teacher that he is today. I'll also be talking to him about the impact of mental health on our ability to learn and grow, how we might have more empathetically informed education, which we could change in our country from the bottom up, and about the impact that sudden growth can have on all of our mental health. He is a truly wonderful human being. I am infinitely grateful to the internet for having connected us and made us friends, and I am so excited for all of you to get to know him a little bit better. Enjoy. For everybody listening at home, Donovan and I connected, you know, we we kind of became like little social media cheerleaders for each other because I just happened, I, you know, I guess Instagram knows, as, as creeped out as we are by the algorithm, Instagram knows that I 
I'm really passionate about education and also the way that people can support kids. I've been so fortunate in my life with my career to be able to highlight teachers who changed my life. I don't know if you remember, there's that that like really old school women's brand, like Jones New York with the Apple logo that feels very like 80s or 90s to me, I think, because that's when I became cognizant of like these big, you know, advertisements when I was like going shopping with my mom as a little kid. And you would see, you know, actors and entertainers do these campaigns, these like back to school campaigns to highlight their favorite teacher. And Peter Goss was the English teacher who in my four years of high school absolutely changed my life. And I got, I called Mr. Goss who was no longer in Pasadena. He lives in uh, Arizona with his family. And I was like, will you come and do this thing with me? And you know, the, the brand doesn't like pay anybody or anything. They do a charitable donation to a teacher's association. It's really cool. So, so he came and we got to do this photo shoot together and we were like, this is so crazy. Um, you know, but he was my, one of my greatest mentors as a kid. And then my professor, my very favorite college professor, Christopher Smith, who teaches at USC Edinburgh, I absolutely changed my life again, was the first person who ever told me I should publish my writing, was a really tremendously supportive college professor for me. And he came on the show in the first season. And so I I give you that background just to say, you know, educators, I I truly believe, have the capacity to change lives. And Mm -hmm. so when your video popped up on my Instagram Explore one day, I saw, you know, this teacher is changing, you know, Zoom classrooms for kids. And I was like, what is this? And I just started watching, you know, the video and and watching the way that you talked to your students in those clips, um, the way that you love them. I mean, truly, you you encourage this positive self-talk. You encourage them to express gratitude. You tell them how valued they are by you and how much you believe in them. And and you you speak to them in ways that empowers each of them. And I, I just, we'd obviously never met, but I just thought, I know, I know this person. I know what kind yeah. of person this person is. And yeah, I, I started sharing your videos and then we started to DM and, and, you know, here we are months later chatting and, and it was so fun to direct, you know, all of the lovely people, like everyone who's listening at home right now, from from my digital community your way, you know, on your birthday. It, it was yeah. really fun. I mean, I love it. I My students, because, I mean, they're like super supportive, but you know, they're middle school, high school students. Yeah. I got so many messages from them. They're like, Sophia Bush. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> You're <laughs> like, she's my, my friend. Yeah, no big deal. We talk. It's cool. It's cool. Aww. So my students are like, please tell her I said hi. So there's like one student named Isla specifically who loves you. Hi, Isla. And Isla, Isla wants you to know that she adores you and she's super oh. excited that you're bringing me on the show. And that's my homie. So that's so um, kind. I read a book like kind of randomly at my friend's house and then I went and bought a copy of it. And I can't even remember the name, but the book was about all these famous people who had like in every industry. So athletes, actors, like scientists, speakers, like entrepreneurs. And it was, and they talked about kind of their origin story of where they came from. And so many of these people 
where like I had this one teacher mm-hmm. who like one time told me they believed in me and I held on to that and I moved forward and I and I got so stuck on that. And I was like, mm-hmm. one time, like one teacher, you had one yeah. teacher tell you something one time and it stuck with you. And that's been like the baseline for, you know, your growth and the catalyst for like your work in the world. And so I just took it upon myself to be like, all right, well, I'm going to like hyper mode and I'm going to find something to lift up about each one of my kids. And I'm going to tell them as much as I can, mm. like how much they mean to me and how much they impact me. And I, I think I've been working with kids literally from like parent-child classes to college kids. And when I got to middle school, they were the ones that I felt like needed it the most mm. because that is, I kept talking to adults and I would tell them I work with middle schoolers and they would have these kind of gut reactions of like middle school is the worst or that's the worst age. And I hated middle school. And, and I just started, I kept hearing that pattern. I met like one outlier who was like, I loved middle school. I thrived. And I was like, Oh, cool. You're the only person I've talked to who says that. But for mm. the most part, we all have this kind of like it's a generalized statement, but the people I've talked to have said, that they hated middle school and that they don't, and then they don't like middle schoolers currently. And so I started to just kind of ask myself, like, why, yeah. you know, why is that? And, and if that is the, if that is a shared experience that we're all having, like, why aren't we doing more, you know, like, why aren't we doing more for that age? Because mm-hmm. that is when identity really starts to form. And I think a lot of adults kind of realize that's when we start to those negative self-talk things start to come in <sighs> that idea, that idea of like, who am I supposed to be? what role am I supposed to play in order to feel valued, which means like, how do I feel safe? And I I started to apply this work with them. And I just started to see them shine. Like Mm -hmm. in my class specifically, they'd go to their other classes and those walls would come back up. But in my class, it was just humanity, you know? And I think that if I could do anything for kids, it would be connect them to their humanity, because I think that that's what we need desperately as kids who are more connected to their humanity. Yeah. And who know that they don't have to perform or or prove or anything that that they're they're valued and valuable because they're here and and that their curiosity deserves to be nurtured and that it's okay not to know everything and yeah. all of it. Yeah, I had a bell in my class that I used to ring when the kids would teach me something just to celebrate it. Cause I was like, I don't know everything, (laughs) please. There's, there's so much in the world that I don't know, but it's also like a great way to connect Mm -hmm. with them and to be like, let's learn, let's look this up. Let's research this together. I have no idea. Let's figure it out and learn together. You know, I love that. I'm curious. Cause I, I always like to know how the people that, you know, I sit across from in these conversations became the way they are. And arrived at, you know, this point on this day that, that we're talking. And I really wonder for you, when you think about all of the sort of positions in life you've referred to, you know, from, from young kids to high schoolers, how do you look back on your own childhood? You know, was, was Donovan as a kid, this empathetic and, uh, you know, big beaming smile, uplifting guy in every room or or were you also either in elementary school or middle school having a, a hard time? Uh, I think I learned like pretty quickly what I, sh- what I thought I should be and that role that I filled. And it, it sounds dramatic, but I want to be honest with you. It started from when my dad passed away when I was six and I sat in my mom's lap at mm. the funeral 
And I told her a joke and she, she would always tell people like, oh, he was just trying to make sense of death. But in my head, I was like, I got to make her feel better. Like, that's exactly what I remember. And so from that point on, it was like, you do good, Donnie, like do good. So it will help the people around you. And so I was really quiet. I got good grades. Mm. I had friends and stuff like that. But when I got to middle school, my identity kind of, my character strength started to come out a little bit more. And I realized that I could be that kind of on a bigger scale. And so then I was just like friends with everyone. That was kind of my thing. But Mm. I mean, when I look back in middle school and high school, I like hated myself. I'm already starting to get a little emotional. Mm. Um, And for a really long time in my life, I couldn't even look back at that time without being ashamed of myself because I did so many things that I knew weren't good for me, but I was just trying to feel better. And I didn't know, and I didn't have anyone in my life who, who could help access like that hurt and that struggle I was going through. And when I got into high school, I had more death happen and, and it ended up being my, my senior year, my, one of my best friends passed away. And Mm -hmm that role came up again because his family was like, will you speak at the funeral? Like, can you represent his friends and speak at the funeral? And so this idea that like, I have to be valued. If I want to be valued, I got to take care of everybody. Yeah. And so then I, I, then I became that for my friends. And then I had like tons of close friends who I would do anything for. And then I found my work with kids. And, and even though this work is really important, the way that I was using it for a long time was trying to fill this role of, I've got to save everyone. I got to take care of people, mm-hmm. but I had no idea how to take care of myself. I would use, I, I would use everything that I had. I would give it to everyone I could, mm-hmm. to my students, to parents, to my friends, and I would have nothing left. And so I, I, I had no room for self-love. I had no room for self-care. I had no room for relationships. I had, it was mm-hmm. like, you were a tool you are here to make people feel better. Mm-hmm. And if, and it, and that's it. And so I started to kind of, I think recently in the past, maybe five years say like, isn't there more, mm-hmm. you know, like, isn't there more to me? Can I have more in my life that I deserve? And, and I think now when I look back at my childhood, I feel like very sympathetic for myself. Mm-hmm. I don't blame myself. I don't hold myself to those same expectations. I'm not mean to myself anymore. I want to hug, you know, I want to sit next to him and be like, man, this is tough. And like, you're, you're sad. And like, I'm here for you Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to judge you. Right. But like also to be with him, to, to, to let him know that he's safe and he's okay. Just being who he is. He doesn't have to be Mm. more than he is. And, um, that's been, I'm, I'm back home in Virginia right now, my mom's house transitioning. And it's like messing with my head a little bit. Cause it's like being a kid again. It's like mm. being home and trying to fall into those roles. And how do I continue to, to be myself? And how do I continue to set boundaries that respect mm-hmm. my space with also being around people who knew me when I was younger. And, yeah. and when I did, I didn't have those tools that are accessible to me. And so I think that I'm literally teaching myself right now I'm using the skills I teach kids because yeah. it's like, okay, I'm like kind of nurturing Donnie, nurturing like middle school Donnie right now. And like, yeah. hey, we got to take care of him. And it's tough. It's tough, but it's super important. I think. I think so too. And I, I, I can't help but think about how hard opportunities are sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you, you are in a space where you literally have the opportunity to open your bedroom door and look down the hall and see your younger self and 
and nurture that part of you that still is that age. And that's hard. You know, nobody told us when we were kids that being self-actualized adults took so much freaking work. <laughs> I'm yeah, like, hello? Seriously. Also, seriously. I, I look back and I think, you know, why isn't guidance counseling mandatory in schools? Mm-hmm. Like, why don't mm-hmm. we create, you know, um, like youth therapy as a, as a requirement so that kids can begin learning the tools earlier so you don't have yeah. to do so much work as an adult to then go back and reheal. You could start you could start learning to self-soothe. You could start building your mental health toolkit at a younger yes. age. I, I, it's really it's wild to me. Did, did you did you grow up in Virginia? Is that where you yeah, lived? Yeah, I grew up in uh, the same area. I'm in a different house than I grew up, but I grew up out okay. in this area, um, which has been. It's, it's been interesting yeah. uh, to see it through my eyes because you said something that just resonates so deeply with me. And that's what I've been saying for a long time. So something that I didn't, I haven't really got to go into, you know, too much depth about it, but I never went to school for teaching. That was like never my career path. Mm. Um, and when I started to work with kids, I was doing like after school programs and mm-hmm. in after school programs, it's not attached to grades. So first of all, there's like a difference between working Mm. with kids and not having to talk to them about academics and really helping kind of nurture like their inner assets is what I call them. Um, And I really liked it, but I started to do the work I do with kids. I started to do it in my early 20s because I needed it because I was so depressed and I was like, you know, suicidal at points. Mm. And I was like, I can't live like this. And so I was like, I need tools to take care of myself. Like I can't, I can't take my life, but also I can't continue living like this. And so I started to, to learn things like gratitude and I started to learn things like growth mindset before I even had a name and I started to learn things like self-talk and then I was teaching kids. And so I had the space to kind of just shift it into that. And so my goal has always been since I started this, at least to, to be like a public figure for kids, because mm-hmm. you got, they got, you got, you got them looking up to all these public influencers and how many of them are talking to kids directly. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to shame anyone, like do your thing, you know, but I'm like, where's our Mr. Rogers, you know, like, where's our LeVar Burton, where, where are yeah. our people at to, to talk to us about these things that we don't get to talk about in school. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I want to, I want to be that for kids. Because I know what it was like to be a kid and not know where to turn yeah. and, and to, to, to be too afraid to talk to my parents, to not have a teacher that really saw me, um, to not have the emotional vocabulary or the capacity to even mm. like explain how I was feeling. And so that's been my kind of goal for a long time is to, to do this work with kids on a larger scale, to be a teacher that they choose, yeah. that they choose to go to, not that is you know, forced upon them. Where did you begin to learn those skills? As you said, you know, gratitude practices, um, ways of self-inquiry, ways of being that that could help you be more in touch with your emotions and then more in touch with all the kids you were working with. Uh, I did this program called School of Embodied Leadership. And when I was in college, uh, which was like some of my toughest times, I, I found a, a random flyer for it and it was like, come do this week long program. And it was like, learn how to be a leader. And I was bored. And I like had said to myself that day, like, I need to do something like different. Right. And I saw it and I went to it 
And it was like the first place I got to grieve. It was the mm-hmm. first place where I got to, to let emotions out. It was the first place where I could think about what I wanted to do on a larger scale. Like who, who do I want to be in this world? And I went to that program five years in a row. And it's like a, I mean, it costs like $4,000 for people to do. And my school just offered it for free for us. And it was just like my healing place. And it was like, that's where I made my first commitment. That's like the first time I ever made a commitment to work that was larger than myself. And I had a woman named um, Susie who like still like posts on my stuff, which makes me so happy. She like, she was the first mentor I had. Um, who really took time to see me and really took time to like, she would be talking to 21 year old me, but at the same time be addressing like sixth grade Donnie. And that that was kind of the first place where I got to feel what it was like to be in community, to be like helping other people heal while I'm healing, to to be putting the healing towards something bigger too. Not just like we're we're here to heal, but we're here to to become leaders who are embodying mm-hmm. all of these values and these principles. And, and that's when I, I just, I mean, it was just amazing to me and I loved it and I couldn't wait to go back every year. I was so excited to go back. Um, and then the gratitude stuff, like surprisingly, I, I read like Rhonda Byrne and I was like, and it's because I read it now and I'm like, like it's a little foo-foo but for me it was the first place that talked to me about like gratitude and the power of like saying thank you for things and so I bought like a little pitch counter um and I named him Marvin who's over there and so I just made a goal to myself to say as many thank yous a day as I could and in the beginning especially after I was like directly after feeling suicidal it was really tough you know some days it was like I'm grateful to be here I guess Right. And, you know, after a while, because gratitude is a skill and you can get better at it when you practice it. After a while, it was like, I'm grateful for like gravity. I'm grateful for like cinnamon toast crunch. Right. I'm grateful Mm. for that person who smiled at me when we were driving today. And it just I I started to feel the way that the world kind of transformed around me. And I thought that that was beautiful. And so that was one of the first things I started to teach kids was like, Hey, let's practice gratitude. Like, let's mm. see what this feels like. And I, I could just see kids opening up and, and, and then seeing them express it to other people was like even more powerful because mm. then you got these adults who I had a mom came and cried to me and I had no idea what was going on. Cause she was just like sobbing. And she was like, my daughter just like stood up and gave everybody gratitude for no reason. And I was like, well, she had a reason. And she was like, why? And I was like, because she wanted to. (laughs) Because she she learned this skill and she was like, hey, I have to thank people. And she wanted to do that. And so after that, I was like, there's something here. There's something here that I need to to, to teach, you know? I'm curious, looking back, because you have such great perspective on when things were changing for you and and where you found potential and healing and, and you're honest about when it was hard when you when you look back in that kind of way with you know empathetic analysis do you think given that your mom was a teacher there's a through line there for you now can you kind of trace the inspiration and the and the lessons or or do you do you see them as sort of separate callings um i think that the greatest thing that my mom has done for me is probably one of the greatest gifts that I offer my kids, which is like, I love you. 
Mm-hmm. I'm here for you regardless. Like if you mess up, if you are sad, if you're angry, if you're acting like a brat, right? If you're mm-hmm. struggling in school, if you um, are taking on a big endeavor, if you are being a bum, right? She is like, I love you regardless. Mm-hmm. And that was something that when I started to say to my students, I could like hear my mom. And it was yeah. like really, really um it just felt like it connected me to her so deeply because mm-hmm. it was like, we struggled, you know, my mom raised four sons on her own, losing my dad. My dad was like in line to become the first black U.S. Surgeon General and he died. Wow. And my mom was a teacher. And so she went from having that support financially with a partner, like who loved her to doing it on her own. Mm-hmm. Um, she looks back often and she'll say to me, like, I didn't do enough and blah, blah, blah. And she talks about when I struggled in high school and I got, I was like, I, you loved us. And my struggle would have happened regardless, Mm -hmm. you know, and we've been talking a lot about struggling and suffering recently. That's been kind of a big theme in my life because that's kind of what I'm going through right now. And I have to let her know that it's like, we all struggle. We all are going to struggle. And sometimes when we see people struggling, we want to, we want to fix it. Right. And what I'm telling her is like, I'm not, because she was like, I see you struggling and I, and I feel so badly, like it's my fault. And I, and I just told her, I was like, mom, I'm not suffering. Like I'm struggling. Yeah. This is tough. Mm. This is, I am in a really, really tough space in my life right now. And this is probably one of the most important struggles I've been through, but I am not suffering. Like I have a house, I have food, I have people who have my back. I have the most support in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? And and I, I just had an experience recently where that really kind of like, I mean, a couple of, like a couple of days ago, really opened my eyes to that idea. And it kind of completely reframed this time period for me. It kind of helped me get a, a brand new perspective on my struggle because I saw someone who was suffering and I had the opportunity to help them. And I realized pretty quickly, like, I'm not suffering. Like, mm-hmm. this is hard and this mm-hmm. is tough and I deserve love and I deserve support and all of those things, but also I'm not suffering. Yeah. That's important to know. Wow. I, that really, that's, that's a moment I want to pause on because what an incredible distinction and how important for each of us to be able to clearly define and separate our struggles from suffering. Yeah. Struggle is part of life. Mm-hmm. You said it, you know, it, it is something we all go through. And, and I think if you can see when something is very hard, if you can have the clarity and also the gratitude to say, I'm very lucky that I'm not suffering, but I am really struggling. Okay, what am I going to do to get through this? Who can support me through this? What is this going to teach me? How is this yeah. going to make me grow? Mm-hmm. And, and if you are, anyone listening, suffering, can you identify that so that you can seek help, so that you yeah. can figure out who can support you through it? Or, or what what might be available to you, you know, in your community or in your town or city. I just, I find that distinction to be really, really important because sometimes when you're in it, it can be really hard to see that it'll ever end. Yeah. I mean, um, can I tell you what happened? Yeah. Yeah. So I was driving. I'm back home and I moved from Oakland back to Virginia and 
my plan was always to do this, to transition into speaking for kids, to eventually have a show for kids. That's been my goal. Mm. And I had no idea how I was going to do it. But then the Today Show thing happened. And then now this happened. And, like, and did the Today lot. Show come from that video going viral? Is that how that? everything kind of just came like everything kind of came to me which was that which is a big part of me recognizing my struggle too um I was driving and I was thinking like it's not worth it like this this struggle is not worth it because I don't I was like I'm I'm alone I don't have a car as I'm driving my mom's car I don't have financial security I don't have insurance I don't have stability I don't have structure like I got nothing to hold on to and I feel like I'm free falling and I was like, is this what pursuing your dreams feels like? And I was getting so low and I was driving around and I was like, do I really want this? Like, do I really, I feel like I'm suffering. That's what I felt like. I was like, what is, what is the point of this? I feel like I'm suffering. All these opportunities are coming to me, but I'm so low right now. I feel so sad all the time mm. that I can't even look at these opportunities. This is a good thing. And then I pulled up to a red light and I looked to my left and there was just this man and he was, he was there and, he, and I rolled my window down and I talked to him and he was like, do you have any money? And I was like, I don't have any money, man. I'm sorry. And he was like, look, do you have any food? And I was like, no, I don't. And he was like, okay. And he, I said, like, are you hungry? Are you really hungry? As if like, I don't know why I said that. It was just the first question that came to my mind because I was like, okay, like maybe I can do something. And he told me he felt like he, he was being eaten from the inside out. Mm. That's how hungry he was. And he just looked so gone. And I was like, I'm really sorry. And he was like, it's okay. He was like, thanks for talking to me. And I was like, of mm. course. And so I drove away and I was like, Mm-mm. like and everything I'd been thinking was gone. Everything I'd been thinking was gone. And I just busted UE and I went to Wendy's and I bought like a ton of stuff and I came back and I like parked the car and I came out and I went and I talked to him for a while. And he ended up telling me um, that he had a son who passed away, whose name was Donovan. Yeah. And yeah, which was wild. And so I was just telling him, I was like, you know, I wish that, um, you know, I wish I could do more. Like, I hope this helps. And he was like, man, you have no idea how much this helps. And so I drove away. And and then I thought, like, I get to go home. You know, I get to go back to my house. I get to be with my mom. I get to, to sleep in a bed and not worry about rent. And I get to, I have food, you know, and, and I have access to a car and, and like suddenly I, everything that was that felt like suffering was like, this is what you this is what you've been working for. Like this is not suffering. This is struggle. And it's hard. And I'm not invalidating that struggle, but like you're not suffering, man. That guy was suffering. Mm. And so then I got really, I was like, I gotta work, I gotta work at a food bank. I gotta help feed people because that's mm-hmm. like that's suffering, you know, and that like to not have food, mm-hmm. like I can't. I, that experience before you know I get cranky if I don't get to eat but that there's a difference between I'm too busy to make time to eat versus I don't have money yeah to eat and I when I came home I just went and hugged my mom and was like I'm happy to be here you know and it didn't mm. it didn't take away the struggle but suddenly it put it into perspective and I was really grateful for it where I was like, man, I'm, I'm floating. Mm-hmm. I have, the world is, in, I'm not free falling. I'm floating mm-hmm. and it's tough and it's scary, but like yeah. having that distinction between I'm not suffering, I'm struggling helped me so mm-hmm. much realize that I can do this. And like you said, I can, I can get these resources. I can get myself out of this. I can grow through this, mm-hmm. right? There is, 
there's no, for me at least, I'm not, I don't know, this is all kind of new to me, but you know, there's no stuff, there's no, I can grow from not eating, right? That's mm-hmm. suffering. Mm-hmm. And when I think about kids, when I think about kids taking their lives mm-hmm. because they are suffering, yeah. right? Because this natural struggle of trying to figure out who I am because we are failing kids mm-hmm. at assisting them in that struggle, it is becoming suffering for yeah. kids where kids are like silently suffering. And that is why I do the work I do is to help kids grow through their struggle and not let their struggle turn into suffering because their struggle is going to teach them who they are, you know? And if you can give them these tools, it's not going to take away the hard things in life. Nothing can take away the hard things in life. (laughs) You know what I mean? But you can grow through these things. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's kind of my, my mission, you know? Yeah. That's so beautiful. And I, I think about the way that kids struggle and how how much in certain places they are suffering. Mm-hmm. Also because of this deeply intense um, amplification of things that were, you know, supposed to be, that we see now everywhere. And I think about it for you as an adult. You just had this experience. And because you see everybody's highlight reel, you know, we do a lot of comparing our insides to other people's outsides. And I think that's why we feel really disjointed and why it can be so painful sometimes when we forget what we do have. You think, well, I'm, I'm this age and I've had this career and I'm supposed to have this figured out. And why am I living with my mom? And why are we sharing a car? And it's like, stop. Just because people, you know, half the people on Instagram showing off a vehicle rented it for the day like it's not even a thing (laughs) but it's real and it affects us and you know that study just came out well the not the study that the transparency about it that instagram knows how bad it is for kids especially Mm -hmm. girls and that they've been burying the data which really breaks my heart because i think about how hard it can be for me to feel okay Even even with what my outsides look like to the world, with that platform and w- and with with just the intensity of the phones and the computers and the dinging and the inbox and the stuff, it's like it's it's relentless. Yeah. And I'm an adult, and you're mm-hmm. an adult. We have we have brains that have finished developing. Mm-hmm. And when I think about kids, you know, I think about some of the dumb shit that I did when I was like 21. And I go, well, I didn't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex yet. I didn't even know. And that was at 21. And, and when I look back now, you know, I'm doing this project with my coworkers from my first show. And we're, the three of us as women, we're looking for healing. And so, and, and, we're, and we're reclaiming. It's like really ferocious and it's really tender all at the same time. And we're watching this show together that we made. And we're looking at our little 21-year-old selves and we're babies. Yeah. I mean, we are we are little girls. <laughs> and so when I think about who that little girl was in middle school. Yeah. When when I think about who you were struggling in high school, when I think about who you were as a little boy yeah. when you lost your dad. I mean, to be 6 years old. And in your little six-year-old brain that only has so many connections because it's only been growing, you know, it's grown for less than a decade. 
your brain said, oh, I, I have to be a fixer. I have to, I have to help here. I had a really similar experience at eight. And it took me until I was literally in such a pressure cooker in a job that I had to quit. I had to leave. And in that experience, I realized I've been looking outward my whole life at everyone else. I don't even know what it is to truly emotionally stand in a mirror and put any of that energy back into myself. I just hadn't done it. Yeah. And it's and it's a weird thing to to realize you have to learn a new practice as a grown-up. And this is why I wish we could give it to kids. And this is part of why I'm so I think I was just so struck when I watched you teaching and and why I felt that feeling of oh I know this person. I I see what he's doing. And I I would imagine that everyone who watched that video thought that's what I needed. Mm-hmm. That's what I wished I'd had more of. And interestingly, profoundly really now that I think about it, I think that's what you did for that man. You you really mirrored his humanity to him. And full circle, like what gave me chills and is doing it again as I'm ready to tell you what I was thinking when you were telling me the story, it's really not lost on me that, <laughs> oh, sorry, I wasn't, ex- um, I wasn't yeah, expecting to start crying, but it's not, um, it's not lost on me the, the, the kind of sign for you to wind up speaking to a man who lost his son as a ma- as yourself as a man who lost his father and for your name to be the bridge i mean that that had to be talk about a a nod from the universe when you go oh i'm supposed to be doing exactly this this is too much to be a coincidence yeah and it's I mean, you know it's, wow it's 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 been like that for uh the past year and sometimes it it really scares me but i also know that um like i just uh <laughs> um you know i i struggle a lot and i think that when you were talking about the highlights real like watching my highlights real mm-hmm. was hard yeah. Because everyone on the outside is like, "Oh, you're this amazing," and I and I'm I'm so low. Yeah, you know, it's been it was it was hard to get out of bed for weeks mm-hmm. because I didn't feel that way, and I was really questioning it. And that's like what you said was like when that happened, I was just dropped back in my body of like, "This is there's no there's no coincidence here." Yeah, you know, what I mean that this happened the way it happened, um, and it it kind of just recharged me. Mm-hmm. To be like, you know, not to just recharge me to get up and be like, okay, time to to push through, but to just kind of like see myself and see the work mm-hmm. and see this larger picture and understand. I don't know. I just kind of felt like a, not just like a nod from the universe. It felt like a gift. It felt yeah. like a real gift to be like, I know you're struggling, right? But I want to show you, yeah. right? And then I, when I got home, all I could think was, I want to help the kids yeah. who are suffering. 
you know, cause I'm so worried about kids. Mm-hmm. I'm so worried about them, but at the same time, I have so much hope. Yeah. I have so much hope for them. Mm-hmm. And so I, even just doing this interview, like I said, I, I was like, I'm so slow. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can be on, but I don't, I don't feel like I'm trying to be on right now. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm just being honest and, and being open about this. Um, because I think that that's always kind of been what people connect with, not me being on. Yeah. On isn't a real thing. And I, you know, I think it's really interesting when you talk about this sort of dichotomy that you find yourself experiencing right now. Part of what I think I can offer, you know, as a, as a person who's, I got thrust into the, you know, spotlight a long time ago and, and everyone does assume when, you know, you're on the Today Show, your life is great. And you're like, no, no, it's weird because I'm still the same. I just have to do this in the morning, but then I have to go home and do everything I was doing before anybody cared. Yep. There's this assumption from the outside that when you've, you know, quote, made it, (laughs) that everything is solved. And I think the more we can be present to an honest and full experience, the better. And I imagine that something you and I have in common in a relative way is that when you learn to be a caretaker and an overachiever at a very young age, in your adulthood, when you really confront your humanity and you do have to start looking inward and you do have to acknowledge that um, the way I think about it is like a pie chart mm-hmm. where like we only we only ever want to be in the slices of pie that are the good, you know, quote unquote, happy, success, this. So you've, you've kind of been ignoring the rest of your own pie chart for your whole life. So it's a yeah. lot to process. When you start yeah. to, you're like, oh my God, it's a bottomless pit. Um, <laughs> so what what I hope to offer is A, I see you, B, it's okay, and C, it will get easier. You just haven't been doing it for that long on this <laughs> level and in this way. And yeah. just know it gets easier. I think what's what's funny is like I teach my kids three skills. Mm-hmm. And, and, and those are the three skills I'm using right now. Yeah. Isn't that like wild? I, when you realize like you go, this. Oh, I'm so good at teaching this to other people. I'm so good at being this for other people. Why haven't I never done it? For no, me? Literally, Wait, like, will you, like literally. Will you tell us about it? Because I, I didn't know we were, we were going to jump right into the, just like, how's your heart? Oh, how's yours? But I, <laughs> I, I love that we did. And I think yeah. I would imagine because I remember what it felt like when I, heard people having conversations like this and I didn't feel like I knew how to show up this um with this kind of emotional honesty yet and the the three skills you teach your kids are the way to this they're the way to kind of come home to yourself so mm-hmm. will you, will you kind of explain your teaching philosophy will you explain the three skills and and what they mean and and why they're important yeah I, yes absolutely and just going to start off with some gratitude because thank you for giving me the space to do it because mm-hmm. this is like all I care about. <laughs> I mean, I care about more things, but I've just been yelling about this for years. Yeah. So it's just, it's, you know, it's amazing to be able to be in a space like this to talk about it. But when I think about like soul, that place I went to is school of embodied leadership. It was transformative for me. And so when I started to look at skills, uh, you know, you see posters in school that are like, be happy or like, 
you know, like mm-hmm. those, just those, those like little bumper sticker phrases. And the thing that's frustrating about them is that it's a lot of toxic positivity. And so when I said, I want to teach kids these things, I was really adamant about like, I don't want to go in and just create energy because I can do that. Right. I can go into a school and get people hyped, but by fourth period, they're back yeah. right into their regular world. I was like, I want to teach them skills. I want to teach them actual skills and tools, like you said, in their toolbox Mm -hmm. that they can use. And so Mm -hmm. um, what I looked was, what are transformative skills? Like, what are skills that can change, like, fundamentally the way that kids view themselves? And so I basically looked at three transformations. And the first one is how they view themselves. So what is a skill that helps transform how kids see themselves and it's self-talk? How do you talk to yourself? Mm-hmm. And it's it's not just like use positive self-talk, right? So it's like reframing. So using growth-oriented um, talk, being kind to yourself, being compassionate to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Speaking, speaking kind words to yourself, like even sometimes in the mirror. And so I, I do a lot of work with reframing, like how we talk about ourselves. Mm-hmm. So if a kid is like struggling and saying like, you know, I'm dumb. And then it's like, all right, cut that out, right? Because it's like very closely connected to growth mindset, which is the second skill. But it's like, what is like a, what is something that is positive about you? Or what is a positive way that we can say that, that will make you feel better, but doesn't feel so far fetched, right? So Mm -hmm. if a kid says like, I'm super intelligent, that's still a fixed mindset. And that doesn't feel true to them. And they're going to struggle with that. And so it's like, I'm learning every day, Mm. right? Just a simple switch. Right. So instead of I'm done, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not this false positive identity, but it's just this true thing. I'm like, isn't that true? Like, don't you have so much left to learn? And they're mm-hmm. like, yeah. I'm like, all right, cool. So that's the that's the language we're going to use. And then self-talk, really, the way that we talk to ourselves becomes how we view ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it becomes like that the critic that holds us back or pushes us forward. Yeah. And so I think self-talk is huge in terms of transforming how we see ourselves, even creating affirming statements to fall back on. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you're struggling, if you can't reframe in the moment, what is your what is your fallback phrase? Right. That you can go to to kind of like read redirect that basically. And so um, that's one of the first that's the first skill. The second one I kind of talked about because they all kind of go together is growth mindset, which is like we talk about growth mindset a lot in academic settings now. But I think growth mindset is connected to just growing in general, mm-hmm. like making mistakes, right? Learning because kids are so people are so tough on themselves, right? And we demand perfection from ourselves all the time. And we hold these incredibly high standards for ourselves. Yeah. And we don't meet them. We're so mean to ourselves. And so that's like what falls back to that self-talk, but also just understanding that you're growing still. Mm-hmm. I can learn. I, I might make mistakes. I've made mistakes in my life. I've made big mistakes. I've hurt people. I've done things that I, I'm ashamed of. But at the same time, I learned from those things. Mm-hmm. And I learned and I, and I made a promise to never do those things again. And I, and I treated people differently from that experience. So I can't change what I did. I can't. But I can grow from it. And so when I'm working with my kids, you know, we, we would struggle a lot. And, and sometimes I would be so close with them that they would be embarrassed to talk about their mistakes or they'd be embarrassed. And I'm like, yo, like, I love you regardless of your mistake. Yeah. Right. I might be disappointed in a choice you made, but I'm not disappointed in you. 
Mm -hmm. Right. And that's a huge thing. So learning that you can get better at things. And so what you said earlier, when you were like, this is still very new to you. I've been doing this for like three months, four months. I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm demanding excellence of myself. Yeah, Like that's so unfair. And Mm -hmm. I, I literally have not said this until this moment of like, dude, like be kind to yourself, man. Yeah. Like watch how you're talking to yourself and also like grow, grow. You were in a huge growth period. I feel like I'm going through puberty again. That's what I feel like. Yeah. Like I'm waking up and I have like body aches and I'm like, am I getting, people keep telling me I've gotten taller recently. Like I keep running into people from my past who are like, are you taller? And I'm like, then four years ago? No, but it feels like it because I'm growing. Um, and growth mindset, I think really transforms the way that we learn. Mm. And the way that we grow as a person and, and growth mindset makes learning safe, right? Because when, when you can open up and say like, I'm still learning or I'm not great at this yet, or I'm still working towards this, mm-hmm. you don't have to put up this front of I am this or I am that. It's not this fixed mindset. I don't have to be perfect, right? I don't have to be brilliant at everything. I'm not going to be brilliant at everything mm-hmm. I do, right? Yeah. I have to learn. That's like, that's wild. Nobody does that. You have to learn how to do these things. People would say like you were born a teacher. And I was like, I was born a baby. Nice try. <laughs> that's, I, that's it. I did not I did not come out of the womb talking about empathy and love. And yeah. I didn't do that. Right. And so sometimes people will say that. I'm like, but there's so much work that has gone behind this that you're not seeing. Um, so I think growth mindset is the biggest or the second skill. And then the third one is gratitude. And I think that gratitude transforms the way that kids see their role. Right. When when you can have kids really talk about what they're grateful for and what they appreciate and or what what people have done for them and the impact it's had on them. I mean, it's it's massive. Suddenly, like kids friendships are so much deeper and their connections with their parents are changing because they're expressing this is what you did for me. And people will speak so poorly of kids. But what I've seen is when you give kids these tools, they they, they thrive. They love it. The only time I've ever had to pull pencils out of kids' hands because they wanted to keep writing was during the gratitude exercise. Yeah. They want to write one more letter. They want to write one more thank you mm. note to someone. And I'm like, you can do that anywhere, right? You can, you can mm-hmm. go home and do that. But for them, it's like, that's the most transferable skill I've ever seen in a classroom. Wow. Where the kids are like, I love this. I saw this effect. I want to go do it somewhere else. Yeah. It's so amazing to to hear about the results, and also to know that they're backed up by all of this research that exists in the world now about gratitude. Yes. I mean, you know, Dr. Lori Santos, who runs the happiness class at Yale. I mean, th- this is what it's all about. This is the foundation of the whole thing. I wonder, did you ever get pushback from, you know, any teachers or administrators about this kind of really empathy-led teaching? Or did people really see results and go, please keep going? Um, I had weird pushback mm. and I think that the pushback was often rooted in white supremacy, which I don't say often, but like oh. I was, I was working in multiple companies when I was younger that when that stuff started to come out, like they kind of like put me in a box, like they would like pull me away from those situations and stuff. And so when I went to Hayward, um, California and I worked at Impact. That was the first place where they had this extra class. And they're like, you can kind of teach whatever you want. It's a non-credential teaching position. And so I was like, well, I want to teach my stuff. And so not only did they like let me teach my stuff, but they would start incorporating some of those practices into the community meetings mm-hmm. and into like our faculty meetings and stuff like that. 
I've often had teachers, like especially like white female teachers, tell me that I'm not a real teacher and that they do the hard work. And I'm like just the fun teacher. And you know, they'll be like, well, that's just Mr. Donovan. The kids just love him, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, there's there's work that I'm doing that you're refusing to acknowledge for whatever reason. But I think that the pushback has always been, I think, kind of hiding black excellence versus the work. Because when people, when when I'm in a community that really lifts up all voices, like then the work is kind of seen on its own. And it's not just like this guy is connected to this work. I don't, I've never, no, I've never really gotten pushback from parents. I think parents are always really supportive of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the pushback I think has been more towards me as a person yeah. than the actual work itself. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I absolutely hear what you're saying about especially sort of whether it's conscious or unconscious stereotyping and the way that we assume, you know, a tall black man is going to behave. Mm -hmm. And I think as a woman who has seen the way women talk to each other finally begin to change Mm -hmm. in my adult life and knowing how different it was when I was in school, I wonder if there's also that layer of just jealousy because women in particular aren't encouraged to voice frustrations or anger. We're encouraged to be nice. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if there's a whole slew of women who I'm not going to speak to whether they're conscious or unconscious of of their sort of um, inherent experiences of um, being raised in a white supremacist system, which affects all of us, obviously. I I wonder just how jealous they are that you're everyone's favorite teacher. Yeah, and, and to me too, it's like I'm 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 funny. Like I'm charming. I get it. Like I'm a little entertainer, right? I get it. Like, mm-hmm. but also I've never wanted people to act like me. And so when I come on to like podcasts and stuff, people will be like, well, what do teachers do? Um, I'm like I don't, I would never tell someone to act like me because it's not going to work. I'm mm-hmm. weird and wild and it just doesn't work when you try to act like someone else. But I really wanted to lift yeah. the work up because I'm like, the work is what's really connected. Yeah. Like the kids like that I'm funny, but yeah. also the kids feel respected and yeah. safe and seen. And you can do that in your yeah. own way. Yeah. Do the protocol in your own way. Yeah. Do it, do it like you. They're not going to, if you try to do it like someone else, they'll call you out for that. And that's like mm-hmm. the worst feeling when kids will call you out for that. But yeah. I, I think, it just makes me sad because underneath whatever it is, whatever reason that I was pushed down, um, there's a missed opportunity for conversation around what's working. Yeah. And that's, and I think that what I'm grateful for right now is that I'm having the space to talk about what's worked for me and what I've seen results without it having to be like, I don't want to get in trouble or I don't mm. want to hurt anyone's feelings or I don't mm. want to attack someone by saying how I feel, you know? Yeah. Was was the experience different in Oakland than in other places? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everything about oh, moving to Oakland was the first time I got to be Black. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. But I think, especially working in the education system, it was the school I was working at, Impact Academy, is so... They have a pro-Black teacher vision. 
And so even though they don't have as many black teachers as they would like, that's a, that's a huge part of their core values of like talking about anti-racism. And yeah. I mean, I learned about stuff. Like, I like unpacked stuff that happened to me six years ago Yeah, because I didn't know that those things were microaggressions. And I didn't know that yeah. like jobs, I mean, I used to have to cut my hair. I had a boss who would literally be like, oh, it's getting that time. Like, you know what time it is? Time to oh, cut your hair. Because you're no, more no. And, and then I never grew it out until recently. So I didn't even know I had curls. Wow. I grew out for the first time when I went to Oakland. People in the streets would be like, oh my God, you're curls. And I'm like, what world is this? What because world? Wow. in Virginia, I had to cover my tattoos and I had to shave my hair and I had to like talk quiet and wow. not be aggressive and stuff like that. And so it's just been interesting to see the difference between, but, mm. but it's, it's not, even on the bigger picture, it's not even about me, but it's about what we can do for the kids when mm. we are living in that liberated system. When we're living in a system that's dedicated to that. When you live fully as you are. And I think mm. a lot of us, you know, especially people born looking like me, don't know the diff, you know, we're kind of like, well, what do you mean so often? Mm-hmm. And it's it's only when you listen to the experiences of other people who talk about the ways they have they have been met with demands to reduce who they are. And I, I just keep thinking, for what? For what? What who does that serve and what is the point? But it is so, it is the experience of so many people. And I it's not lost on me that in the place where you were where you were free to be fully yourself, um, you also were exposed to so much more um, attention. You know, your 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 platform on a national level was was built uh, or or began rather, and I I, yeah. I think that that's incredibly beautiful and deserved, and I. I think it for you and and it and it it makes me think about what teachers all over the country are going through whether they're dealing with those kinds of micro or macro aggressions at work the fact that teachers are supported so reductively you know <laughs> the idea that teachers have to clear the lists and ask for help and they're they're supposed to be educators and mediators and confidants and guardians and and <laughs> and now you know, there are debates about whether or not to arm teachers because we have a mm-hmm. pandemic of gun violence rather than addressing gun violence. I, mm-hmm. And I really wonder if there could be a holistic space like the one you create for your kids where we could really listen to teachers mm-hmm. and listen to what they need and what and what you all know because you have such an important primary function. And I imagine it's really hard to serve that function when so much else is lumped on your plate. I mean, teachers, teachers and nurses, there's like my Mm go-to because they are just, we appreciate you from the sideline and they're so Mm -hmm. underserved and they are some of the most hardworking people that I know. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I think what was hard for me leaving the education system, I'm not even a credential teacher. So on top of the fact that teachers are underpaid, I can't even get paid what a credential teacher base salary is. That's because I'm not a credential teacher. So I've literally had people just be like, well, you're not a real teacher in the school system and outside of it. But I just, I am so grateful for these teachers who are out there fighting Mm -hmm. every single day because I see them and I appreciate them so much. And it, it just, it breaks my heart to know that 
teachers struggle the way that they do because yeah. then the people who are struggling like that and not getting the support they need are supposed to then be supporting the kids who are also struggling and suffering in their own ways and it's mm-hmm. just it's, it's hard it's hard I've seen so many teachers burn themselves to the ground and I knew that I wanted to do something not bigger as in like the importance but on a different on a larger scale I wanted to talk to more kids mm-hmm. versus having one group of kids and so leaving the classroom I had lots of people saying don't do that we need you we need you and I was like I have to kind of take care of my work and take care of myself and I can't yeah. do that in the, in the classroom and that is unfortunate I, I can't if I loved all my students the way I did with the groups I've had so far I would be done with teaching by the time I was 35 I just would not have anything left I know wow. it. I have a tattoo for the group I got uh, this group I had for two years I got a tattoo for them uh-huh. and my last my last group was like where's our tattoo and I was like oh, it's for all of you right it's but I was everyone. just I can't yeah, it's not sustainable. Um, yeah, you're like I'm not looking to have like, you know, neck to toes, guys. Because <laughs> that's what it would be. So, how did you make that decision? Because you know the the essay that you published on Medium, um, which for everyone listening is titled. Oh, you read it? Yeah, it's titled <laughs> "I Don't Want to Be a Teacher, But I Love Teaching." Yeah. What led you to that realization? Because as you said, you do really love your kids and you really love teaching and you really want to transform the experience kids have in the classroom. So how, how did you how did you reach that kind of aha moment? Well, I mean, part of the work I do with kids with the self-talk section is really learning about who I am. And so I had to learn like what my strengths were as a person. Mm-hmm. And I started to think kind of like, what are all of my strengths? Because like, I do love teaching, but I also, I love entertaining. I love storytelling. I love public speaking. I love mm-hmm. like group dynamics and stuff. And so I started to think like, where else could I do this work? Because again, I didn't want to get credentialed for teaching because I feel like if I get credentialed, they're going to like beat this out of me basically. Like all the things that I do that I feel like make me a good teacher are like mm. a lot of credentialing programs would tell me not to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, I didn't want to stop working with kids, but there are just not that many spaces. There aren't that many opportunities to or career paths to work with kids in this way that are not in a school, you know? And so I, I started to think the more and more I saw the impact it was having on kids, the more I realized I wanted to do it on a larger scale and that I wanted to use all of my strengths and all of my talents and all of my, my gifts to do it in a way that works. And like, that's not every teacher's goal and that's mm-hmm. cool. But for me, it was like, this is my goal. I do want to be a name because when there's a kid out there who's in their room and they're hiding and they're crying, right? And they don't have anyone to talk to. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, I want them to know who I am. Mm-hmm. I want them to be able to go to my work and to learn and to be like, yeah, this I'm struggling right now. I need support. Where can I go to get this support? Mm-hmm. I don't know where kids can go. I don't know where to send. And so I started to say, let me let me do this yeah. the best I can on a larger scale, you know? So can you tell us about what you're building? Yeah, yeah. So I am working on a kid's show and I've had a wonderful team who has like volunteered their time and resources, which is amazing to kind of help me bring this idea to fruition. But I want to make an educational entertainment show for middle schoolers that takes them seriously, that takes them 
you know, because there, a lot of people are starting to do social emotional learning for kids, which is great, but they're starting really young, which is mm-hmm. really important. And I'm super grateful for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's super important. But like, I want to talk to middle schoolers because I feel like they are just left out all yeah. the time. And I feel like they need, and the thing that my kids appreciate about me, I think the most is that I see them, that they feel like they can be taken seriously in my space and that like, they can still be silly and we can have fun, but also like, I'm going to hold them to high expectations. I'm going to help them get there. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to baby them. I'm not going to talk down to them. And they really want to be taken seriously. And what I've seen is that when kids are given that opportunity to be lifted up and to be supported, they step into these amazing roles in life yeah. and not just like, you know, leader of the school. I don't mean, I don't mean just like they step into themselves more. And I hear kids like being kinder to themselves. And I hear kids advocating for themselves because they had a space to do that where someone respected that and someone saw that. And my my dream is to have a show where kids, we can talk about these things with kids, with kids. I want Mm -hmm. kid co-hosts with me to be doing these, having these conversations, having these table talks with me about this work. And because I think that, you know, we're sending really unequipped kids into the most important battle of our species like times are tough and they're going to continue to get tougher and the problems that we are talking about right now are going to affect these kids as they're older and like you said earlier like what if all that energy that we spend in our 20s undoing all that harm you know trying to heal ourselves for what we did to ourselves what others did to us what society did to us what if that energy could be put towards something else Mm -hmm. right what if we have kids who know who they are who are growing, who are kind to themselves, who can articulate their strengths, who know their values, who are putting themselves in positions to contribute in whatever way feels good to them, it's going to be a different society. And I I just feel like, you know, talk about underrepresented populations, kids have no voice in this country, yet youth culture is what pushes our culture, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like literally it pushes everything. Anytime I hear a person my age talking poorly about kids, I'm like, nah, you're not, you're not you. It's not for you. You just don't know. Yeah, this is for them. It's interesting because when you talk about the way youth culture moves us forward, we are also talking about some of the historical things we want to go back to, which you mentioned, you know, where is the modern day Mr. Rogers show. Where where is our LeVar Burton? Where is the more you know? I miss that. Yeah. You know? And and people do refer to you that way. I mean, you know, you mentioned the intensity after the Today Show, which again, God, I have so much sympathy for. I'm like, yep, get it, been there. <laughs> um, but you know, Hoda was crying, like uh, all, all I mean, of these people wild. refer to you as the modern day Mr. Rogers is is that kind of your goal? Is is the idea to sort of create a kind of spiritual succession to to people like him and 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 like Lavar, where where you really want to figure out what this generation's young kids needs and and fill that need? Yeah, I mean, I say Mister Rogers because Mister Rogers was a youth advocate. Yeah, that's and, and I mean, it was testimony. Just a TV show. That's what I'm saying. Oh. I mean, I, I've advocate. watched that video many times. It's so inspiring. I, I can't even watch it without, because I'm like, that's what I want to do. And, mm-hmm. and the reason I say that to him or about him specifically is because there are not that many people I can point to. Yeah. There aren't who are doing exactly what I want to do. 
right? I also, it's not lost upon me that I'm black and I'm queer. And that's huge. And that's super important in terms of representation. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I say that because sometimes it's hard to explain what I want to be, what I want to do. And I'm like, that's what I aspire to be. But I also aspire to be it as myself, authentically. I don't want to be Mr. Rogers. I want to be Donald Friend. I want to be Mr. Donovan, right? But who does the same good work that he's mm-hmm. he did, you know, because we need more youth advocates. And I think that one of the things that's been a blessing for me with my work is I get to help adults advocate for kids mm. in ways that they didn't know they could from the yeah. way that we talk to kids, from the way that we talk about kids, you know? Yeah. What are what are some of those ways? What are ways you wish adults knew they could advocate for kids? Apologize. Mm. Apologize to kids. Like when you're wrong or when you make a mistake, show them that they deserve to be apologized to, but also show them that you can, you can make a mistake and then own it and be yeah. accountable for it. I mean, I, I say thank you to kids. I wrote, um, I had a kid who would come to class every day and he would offer to help. He'd always say, how can I help? And the teachers were like, we would like joke about it. Cause we're like, Oh my gosh, like nothing, there's nothing you can do. You're good, buddy. And so I started to kind of pay attention to him. So I wrote him a really long gratitude letter. And he told me that no adult had said thank you to him before. Oh. And cause in his, from his culture, that's just not a practice they do. Right. And I was like, okay, well, I'm grateful for you. And so he told me how much it meant to him. And then I found out his birthday was coming up. So I got all his seventh grade and eighth grade teachers to record individual thank you messages to him. And we put it into a compilation video and I made it into a YouTube private link for him. And he watched it 27 times. Uh, yeah. And I was like, he needed to hear it yeah. that many times to know that he was appreciated. And so I think that two, two huge things that adults can do, which is modeling, but also just really seeing them as an individual is apologize to kids and thank them, thank them for their action. Thank thank them for the impact that they have on us Yeah, because they will do that. They will do it back because they will, they will, they will feel it. And I think something, something I try to tell a lot of my parents who, who take my, like, who come to my lives and stuff like that is if your kids are resistant to it, they've had years of programming against it. And so, like, if you give your kid a gratitude statement and they're weird about it, like, leave them be. Yeah. <laughs> Let it sink in. Let it process. Give because, them some time. Yeah, teachers are like, I tried to do something nice and then the kids didn't like it. So I stopped. And I was like, it's consistency. You have to yeah. prove to them that you're going to show up. You have to prove to them that you're there. Mm-hmm. Like, so you all would see me in these videos having these positive moments. But that's that's months of work with yeah. these kids, you know? Well, and especially because... Sometimes the thing you want most in the world, the first time you get it, it it's almost like it shuts you down because you're scared that it's never going to happen again. Are you talking about my life recently? <laughs> you know, Are you talking about your what life, I just my life, your kids getting their very first <laughs> moment of gratitude from an adult? Yeah. It's so scary mm-hmm. that you almost won't let it in. And mm-hmm. so I think you know, it's a great reminder, the consistency that is required. Uh, I I was going to ask you if you had any advice for people thinking about getting into teaching or education. And I kind of think that that might be it, right? To to be consistent, to to prove it to the kids. Mm -hmm. And I think tell them, I I just talk to them a lot. That's like, 
the most powerful tool I found is communication with kids. Mm-hmm. And, and I think sometimes people will think that I'm like telling kids all my problems. Like, no, like there's safety and there's boundaries we have to set. Yeah. First of all, I don't want them to know all my business. And second of all, because that's not their job. Their job is not to fix my life, right? Their job is not to be my therapist. But at the same time, I can show kids my humanity. I can mm-hmm. show kids I made a mistake and I'm pointing up to it. I can mm-hmm. show kids apologizing. I can show kids showing gratitude. I can show kids lifting up other people, right? And then yeah. they, and those are the things that you start to, that I would start to see kids replicate. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Right. Or I have a teacher stop me and be like, yo, I just want to tell you this kid pulled me after class and gave me some gratitude. And I cried. And I'm like, how was that? And they're like, it was really hard for me because I've never done that before. I'm like, was it, you know, impactful? They're like, yeah. It's like, did you tell the kids? They're like, no. I'm like, well, now you can go tell them. Yeah. <laughs> that it was impactful and then it starts like this you. yeah it starts this whole like cycle and, it, and then suddenly their relationship is yeah. and suddenly it's deeper than I know three things about this kid you know I love that so in the in the meantime while you're working on developing a show because I, I imagine you know as you're telling me that story uh, about another teacher I'm like I know there's a lot of people at home going but where can I tune in now where can I learn now so, so are you, you mentioned lives. Are, are you doing Instagram lives right now? Where, yeah. where are you in the world that people can, can follow along and then, you know, eventually watch the show when it's time? So I am getting over self-doubt and I'm getting over depression and I'm getting over all that stuff. And I have amazing support from there's like three people named Mel, Zane, and Tamala, who and Mallory, excuse me, four people who have been just my like um, angels, you know, who are lifting me up and helping me kind of manage my brain and, you know, helping me with the logistics and stuff. Um, but in the next coming month, I mean, this is like my creative renaissance. And so, you know, I'm working on kids books. I'm mm. working on my curriculum. I'm working on this platform called Disco where I'm going to be offering classes for parents and teachers cool. who want to support kids in this work. Right now, it's Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Those are my three kind of biggest areas. But I, if you're if you're someone who's following, like, just it's gonna it's gonna explode in the next couple of months. I'm really excited to share more stuff with you all. And then I do coaching for kids. So that's kind of the one thing that's really anchoring me right now is like having relationships and, and supporting kids one-on-one. And then um, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I mean, I'm in this phase right now where I'm just trying to get exposure. I'm trying to bring this war, like this stuff to as many people and as many platforms as I can to kind of like really lift it up because what I'm seeing is that. I'm not, I'm not like the creator of this work. I'm a facilitator of it. Mm-hmm. And there are so many teachers and parents and people who don't even work with kids who want to do this work and who feel it so deeply and who have reached out and connected with me. And so for me, I just want to create, eventually I want to create a network of resources for kids yeah. where they know that I can go to this page and there's like, I can learn about finances. I can learn about mental health. I can learn about, you know, physical health. I can learn about um, investing. I can learn about all these different things that people yeah. are talking to kids about. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to do it one step at a time. I'm trying not to hold super high expectations for myself right now. But I'm also, uh, it's time. It's time to, to put that stuff out there. Yeah, I love that. So what would you say, looking at this very full landscape of um of blooming that you are in what feels like a work in progress in your life oh 
me, <laughs> me, me, um, I think transitioning, I think I've, I've created this, this next level for myself. And so right now I'm doing a lot of letting go and letting in, mm. um, letting go of things that don't serve me. That's relationships, behaviors, environments, shifting into accepting support opportunities, um, pushing myself harder in healthy and compassionate ways. The work in progress for me is healing myself, healing my younger me so I can really grow into who I want to and need to be in this world. And it doesn't feel like, do you know Hero's Journey story structure? Mm -hmm. The unlikely hero? Mm -hmm. So for a long time, I felt like the unlikely hero. I'm being dragged along by the universe, like almost begrudgingly where I want to do this work, but it feels so tough and I'm so depressed and blah, blah, blah. And I feel like recently it's shifted to like, choose your own, like start your own adventure story. Yeah. Where I'm the hero that's getting up and putting his backpack on and going out into the world ready to take on challenges and so that i'm trying to kind of hold space for that transition because it's different and it's tough but it's very necessary mm -hmm. absolutely i think there's a really important lesson even in what you just said the idea of the reluctancy the being dragged if if you still had all the things tethering you to before mm -hmm. you'd be dragging mm -hmm. so the the floating the sort of freedom is really necessary for you to just have a backpack and go. Yeah. And it's, it's tough. I feel like I'm starting from level one, but mm -hmm. I mean, it's beautiful. How lucky am I mm -hmm. to be in this position? How lucky am I to have the freedom to, to do these things in my life? You know, that's the gratitude. <laughs> sure. Is. I gotta go do my gratitude practice after this. I love it. 